You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. In any investigation, whether it's criminal nature or counterintelligence, it is absolutely essential to develop human sources of information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, on the trailing edge of still having a cold. And joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Later in the show, we've got my interview with Dennis Franks. He's a former FBI agent, and he's got some interesting insights to share. And we are back. Joe, why don't you kick things off for us this week? Dave, you remember last week I said I was going to give the listeners uh, an overview of open source intelligence gathering? Or yep. OSINT, yep. as it's called in the industry. Right. Or OSIG. It depends on which acronym you like. <laughs> there are tons of places where you can get information about anybody online at little to no cost. Yeah. And uh, I used a couple of guinea pigs named Joe and Dave oh my. for these searches. What do you think the first source was? Uh, I would probably start off by Googling someone's name. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I Google you and I find your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter page, and then I find a website called Muckrack. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-huh. I click on that and it tells me that you use an iPhone. That's true. And it gives me the longitude and latitude of your home. Oh. Huh. Amazing. Really? Right? I was surprised to even find that. It wasn't even an address. So I'm wondering how they're getting that information. I would imagine it comes from my iPhone. I would but, imagine I that mean, it does. I mean, that's sort of creepily specific, but how do don't they, you How think? do they get it out of your iPhone? Because Apple's pretty good about protecting their users, right? Yeah, but Facebook isn't. No, you're right. 100% <laughs> correct. <laughs> so there you go. I, I, my address is in the public record. I purchased my home, but... Yep, uh, yep. mine is too. Huh. I Google my name. And uh, there's a Navy officer with the same name who comes up first. Oh. But the third link takes me to the JHU site that talks about the Baltimore Sun article where I was quoted. Okay. I think yeah. it was about the Under Armour breach. Okay. Or uh, My Fitness Pal. If you go onto the second page of the Google results, you find out that I'm a certified Scrum Master. What's that? That's It's a software development certification okay. for agile development. So then I click on the Images tab for my name and... Bam. There's two pictures of me right in the second row, mm-hmm. right? The first row is all Captain Kerrigan from the Navy, but me, I'm on the second <laughs> row. Captain Kerrigan. I that's, like that. It sounds like name. a Saturday morning cartoon or something. <laughs> yeah, but all right, go ahead. <laughs> I right click on one of the photos of me and I select, because I'm using Chrome, I yep. select search Google for image and a bunch of information comes up. Hmm. And this leads me on to my next topic, which is reverse image search. Okay. All right. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> I reverse image search for Twitter photo, and the best guess that Google comes up with, it says Dave Bittner. Yeah. So I put your photo into it, and it comes up Dave Bittner, and it says, here's another picture of of Dave Bittner, and I find out that you're a member of the Rotarians. That is true. Right. So it's amazing that how much information I can find just by reverse searching your image. Now, when I do a reverse image search of my Twitter image for at JT Kerrigan, the best guess that comes up is gentleman. Hmm. Now, I find that a little bit ironic. But well, well, I think that's true. You're a gentleman, but uh, well, you're not the gentleman, some, but no, all right. I'm doing some very ungentlemanly that's things. That's true. On this, <laughs> Does a gentleman do reverse image searches on his friends? Right. I don't know. All right. Proceed. Uh, I click on similar images, and it's 
a lot of old white guys yeah. come up and some of them look pretty crazy. Boy, the truth hurts, doesn't it, yeah, Joe? Yeah, it does. It really does. <laughs> so it wasn't all that productive for me, but there's a lot of links to my tweets. There's a, a link to an article where I uh, was quoted in a Wall Street Journal. And then it shows uh, Peter Kilpie's Twitter page. Oh, yeah. Our your, executive producer. Your executive here. producer. Huh, so that's it, interesting. It somehow knows that we're associated with, I'm associated with Peter Kilpie. Uh huh. Right. Interesting. So after Googling, I wanted to go to some social media, but I couldn't use you and me because we're connected on all platforms of social media. Mm. So I picked a random friend. It wasn't really that random. Okay. But then I went through their friends and I picked at random one of their friends and we only had one contact in, in common. Yeah. That was our the, our first friend. And then from that person's list of friends, I picked another friend. Okay. Right. So this is somebody who's far away from me. Right. As far away as I, as I wanted to get in this exercise. Okay. And here's what I found out about that person just by looking at their profile while being logged into Facebook. First off, I was surprised by the number of people that I could not send friend requests to, which is great. It was about 10% of the people would not let me send them friend requests. And that's because I wasn't a friend or a friend of a friend. There's a security setting in Facebook that says only allow certain kinds of people mm -hmm. to send me friend mm -hmm. requests. Yeah, so people are up on that. They're properly setting those settings yeah, I'm, to protect I'm, themselves. And it was a lot more difficult than I anticipated actually finding somebody who had a pretty open Facebook profile. Huh. I found a lot of them that were locked down. And I was very pleased to see that. But yeah. this particular person did not have their Facebook profile locked down. Okay. I learned what school that person currently attends. Okay. Right. And what their major is at that school. They're a college student. Yeah. Not only that, but I learned the high school they attended. So if I know the high school, then I know their high school mascot. Mm -hmm. You ever been asked what your high school mascot is, Dave? No. Nope. nope. Not on a security form for a web account recovery or anything? No, I don't think that one's come up, but I, uh, I could certainly see it being one. I mean, I, I that get makes it. sense. I get it frequently. Is that right? Uh, yep. Okay. Yep. I lie. I use something else and, and it's not Panthers. So if you're trying to hack my account, don't enter Panthers, enter something else right. and guess at it. Because I knew what high school they attended, there was a link on their Facebook profile to the high school's Facebook page. Then I had the address of the high school. So I had the, the general idea of where they were, right? And yeah. then I did a, a quick search on the area on this person's last name and found this person's parents. Yeah. What I believe is this person's parents. I didn't go any further in this. I didn't call anybody. I didn't, I didn't want to freak anybody out. And if you're, if you're listening, you're going, Hey, this sounds kind of creepy. I didn't even, I don't even remember the name of the first friend that I clicked on to get to the second friend, let alone the name of the second friend. I didn't keep any of this information. I, yeah. I it was all just temporal. Right. I was just doing these searches. But the interesting part was when I found this person's mother, the mother's aliases were in there including the mother's maiden name. Now, that's a very common account reset question right there, sure. is what's your mother's maiden name? Interesting. It, it, I mean, it was an astounding amount of information about somebody I didn't know that was just readily available. And it's out there. So how do you protect yourself against this? You lock down your social media accounts. You say, if you're not my friend, you can't see anything. And that that's pretty easy to do on Facebook and other social media accounts should have settings. You might have to go in and frequently update it. I don't know, because sometimes these people will change the settings and you'll have to go back in and reset them. But you should do a security review periodically on your Facebook page. Yeah, it was a good idea. And, and I think it's fairly routine these days. I know I've certainly gotten in the habit of just doing a, a quick checking out of people if, uh, if I'm you know, engaging in a business relationship or, or something, you know, someone... Uh, it's just so easy to Google someone. I, I don't think there's anything wrong to want to know as much as possible about someone before you talk to them. There's nothing wrong with wanting to build rapport. 
And yep. by building rapport, you can say, oh, I, I understand you're a graduate of the University of Maryland. So I guess my point is you, do, you don't have to be up to no good to use these tools. But the point you're making is that if you are up to no good, right, it's really easy to use these tools. And, you know, you, I mean, 10 minutes, you've got a tremendous amount of information on anybody. Yeah, it was a little more than 10 minutes, but it wasn't much more than 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, it was it was it was remarkable how quickly I amassed this dossier of this person. You know, I, I can absolutely envision a social engineering attack that begins with this is so and so from high school and I need your help with something or calling the person's parents and saying I went to high school with your son. Uh, yeah, I mean that's going to put their guard down. Absolutely. Yeah, and he mentioning the name of the mascot. Correct. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think you're right. It's a good idea to go in and check those settings. Better safe than sorry. My, my main point is that you shouldn't trust somebody who calls you claiming to be somebody just because they have information that you think, who would know that about me? Well, it looks like a lot of people can know a lot of information about just about everybody. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, my story this week, uh, it has to do with, with doubting yourself, Joe. Have you ever had a situation where... <laughs> Something happens and only later do you look back on it and think to yourself, wait a minute, was I scammed? Uh, I think I have had that situation. Yeah. I tend to doubt myself more in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a trusting person. And so, uh, well, I certainly used to be more than I am now. So I'm driving uh, home one day. I, I had some business to do in Baltimore. And, and so I'm driving down Route 95. This is probably a decade ago. And my car just dies. Just Zip, zip, engine shuts off. Okay. So I drift over to the uh, to the shoulder of the road and uh, you know pull off in a position where I, I feel safe. So that's good. Car won't start. It's it's just dead. Huh. So here I am standing on the side of ninety five and call a tow truck. Tow truck driver comes and uh, seems like a nice enough gentleman. Uh, we chat a little bit. Uh, you know, tell tell him where I want to take uh, the car to the the garage. I want to do the service. So he loads the car up onto the tow truck. He's got one of those uh, platform tow trucks. The old you know, where, they, where they just pull the car up onto a platform. Yep. So uh, I go up and uh, sit in the front of uh, the tow truck with the driver and as we're on our way to the garage together. And uh, we start chatting. And on our way to the garage, he says to me, he says, uh, you know, uh, uh, this is my last pickup of the day. I said, oh, well, that's, that's interesting. Um, how come? He says, well, uh, my, uh, my wife is in the hospital, actually. She's giving birth to our daughter. I just got word from her that she, is, she, she went into labor and she's giving birth to our daughter right now. Hmm. So as soon as I drop off uh, you and your car, I'm going to go uh, you know, to take the truck back and I'm going right to the hospital to uh, welcome my daughter into this world. And I said, well, that's wonderful. That's, that's really wonderful. So we get, to, uh, we get to where we're going, get to the garage. He drops the car off. Uh, I thank him very much. And I give him a big, big tip. Hmm. And I say, thank you so much. Good luck with the birth of your daughter. Have a great day. Here's a big, big tip. I don't say here's a big, big tip, but I'm thinking to myself, here's a big, big tip for a guy who's about to just have his first child come into the world. It's more than you would have given. Right. Way more than I would have given. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm generally a generous tipper, but this right. was a very generous tip. So I finished my business with this gentleman, feeling good about him, feeling good about myself. Life goes on, car gets fixed. It's about a year later, I'm thinking to myself, for no good reason, I just think about this event and I think, gosh, I wonder what happened to that guy. I wonder uh, if everything went well with the birth of his daughter. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, 
what if this was a scam? <laughs> what if every car he picks up, he says, "It's to my the last person, pick of the day. This is my last pickup of the day because I'm heading to the hospital because my wife has gone into labor and I'm going to go there for the birth of my daughter. What do you think, Joe? What's your take on it? Do you think I was scammed or not? I don't know. I'd need more information, but yeah. I'd say there's a good possibility that you're right. Yeah. I mean, because you gave him a bigger tip than you normally would have given him. I did. I absolutely did. And yeah, I don't know. This is Boy, one of like those... a follow up with this guy. I know. <laughs> well, you does know. he have a ten year old daughter now or son or? Well, you know, maybe if if we have anybody in our listening audience who uh, who has any uh, association with tow truck drivers or any, if this is a if this is a common scam that makes the rounds among tow truck drivers, you know, or or, or if you know a tow truck driver, you could ask and let us know. If this is something, uh, I'd certainly like to know. Again, we've talked about this before where this is one of those things where I would have felt like I was much better off had I not had this thought. Right, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> because it troubles me now. Right. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And as we've talked about, I would rather live my life giving people the benefit of the doubt and fall victim to this sort of thing. Right. You know, it probably cost me 10 more dollars than it would have or right. you know, something like that. Then. Then to go through my life just being cynical and and saying, thinking to myself, you know, oh, well, you know, great. Yeah, he's probably not really having a daughter right, born yeah. today, you know. I mean, yeah, I think, you, again, we're, we're at the point where you're or you're like, what, you know, what am I out? I'm not out a lot. I voluntarily gave him the money. Right, right. It was um, money I could afford. Right? Yeah, it's money you could afford. It's not like it's an ongoing thing where he's going to come back and, and tell you some sob story about his kid. You're never going to right. see the guy again. Right? Yeah, right, right. And that's what he counts on. Right. He doesn't He doesn't interact with the same people over and over again. Right. Because if, if he has to start interacting with the same person over and over again, that person probably goes out and gets a new car. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I have never interacted this way with a tow truck driver because what I have done is called somebody to pick me up mm -hmm. and left the key under the mat. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, nobody's going to steal a car that's not going anywhere. Right. It doesn't run. <laughs> right. Yeah. And tell the tow truck driver that's where it is. And, and I never actually have to see them. All right. Well, that's my story. I'm interested if any of our listeners have any insights on this. Uh, feel free to contact us. It's sort of unresolved, but I think it's something to uh, look out for and be mindful of. So that's my story. But uh, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. All right, Dave, we got an email from a listener named Cody, okay? And Cody writes us saying, I listen to your podcasts and I love them. Hey, thanks, Cody. Yeah. My favorite part of your podcast is a catch of the day, which is my favorite part too, Dave. Mm -hmm. I love that. This email came and I thought of you. Enjoy. And the email reads, I just noticed that you own a domain name and would like to ask if you would like to try an iPhone and Android app specifically made for your site. Hmm should be specifically. <laughs> you can test it, and I am sure you will love it. You can keep both apps for just $50, hmm. but that is only if you love it. There is no obligation, and I would be thankful for trying even if you do not want to keep it. It would sound impossible as how on earth I can develop both these apps at such a measly price hmm. and even publish them and prompt users to get it installed. But enough speech, and I'll let you actually see it. I don't charge a penny up front. I make the app integrate with both iOS, App Store, and Android, Play Store. 
and then prompt each visitor to install the app on site load. And once they install it, the app will live on the user's home screen, resulting in multiple site visits. Think about it. Your site is now on their home screen, and they'll almost always incline to click on it and visit your site multiple times because you know in your firsthand experience that you will always explore the apps on your phone, even when you are offline. Having 100 such app installs would guarantee a handful of regular visits as opposed to the pain we have to go through to bring visitors to our site. This is the only service that will make you iOS and Android apps and let you try, and moreover, having such a low price. Would you like to give it a try? And then it has like the developer's name and, and their title and the company they work for, hmm. which may or may not be real. Who knows? Yeah. P.S. Upon your reply, I'll send in full details, including our site address, past work details, contact information, etc. Hmm. What do you think, Dave? Well, I think, you know, what could possibly go wrong by installing rogue apps on your uh, on your devices? Right. Getting your customers, people who are interested in your business, to load a an app from an unknown developer. Yep. My first feeling hmm. on this is that it might be an attempt to steal Cody's domain name. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. He's telling you he's going to drive traffic to your site and you, you're going to load the app. And I would assume that maybe you're going to put some stuff into the app and maybe it's going to ask you for your registrar's name and credentials. I don't know how this works. I, I, yeah. I certainly wouldn't install this app. Cody is astute in, in realizing that this is probably a scam. Yeah, I would imagine that it's just trying to get this app on people's phones and then it'll just start harvesting, you know, all the things that rogue apps That's probably start harvesting. Uh, more likely. You're yeah. probably right. Yeah. I, I immediately go for the worst case scenario. <laughs> thank you, Cody, for sending that in. That's a great, uh, great catch of the day. No, it really is. All right. Well, coming up next, we've got my interview with former FBI agent Dennis Franks. We are back. Uh, Joe, I recently spoke with Dennis Franks. He is a former FBI agent. Currently, he's the president of a company called Investigative and Security Global Solutions. And he was also the host and executive producer of a show on a and &E. It was called A&E Investigates the Plot Against America. So here's my conversation with Dennis Franks. In any investigation, whether it's criminal nature or counterintelligence, it is absolutely essential to develop human sources of information. I think that it's pretty well known that there was a period of time in which I think that intelligence and counterintelligence operations started relying too much on other sources of information, you know, whether it's through satellites, you know, communications, other communications and things of that nature, and didn't pay as much attention to human sources. But there's certainly been a realization that use of human sources is absolutely essential. And my career as an FBI agent, we were required to develop sources. They were known as informants or cooperating witnesses or assets. The terminology depends on the particular area you're working, and it has changed to some extent over the years. But we were evaluated on the ability to develop sources and utilize them to make cases, essentially. And there were even uh, squads and groups dedicated solely to source development, whether it was in the drug trafficking area or 
other areas. Now, can you share what were some of the methods that you used when dealing with these sorts of folks? Were there standard ways that you would manipulate them or, or get them to do the things you needed them to do? It really depended on the circumstances. There were sources who would cooperate for various reasons. It could vary anything from just a a good citizen who wanted to help to somebody who kind of had this cop wannabe attitude. Hmm. It could be those who were in it for gain. You know, maybe they thought that they could make some money doing it. There were a number of them and probably the vast majority, at least in the criminal investigative arena, who would cooperate to reduce their possible sentences from their criminal activity. They had been arrested or were possibly going to be arrested, so they would cooperate to reduce their sentences. And the way you dealt with the source would depend on those circumstances. The, the ones who were of a criminal nature, the, the cartel leaders, those involved in organized criminal activity, you tended to be a little more heavy handed with them or a little more direct with them. Whereas there may be someone who is reporting on white collar criminal activity, who's just a citizen who wants to do the right thing. And you deal with that person a little differently. Now, I'll say this, the intent and the methods used were generally geared toward getting the person to cooperate, gaining their trust and confidence. So when I use the word heavy handed, I don't mean that you were necessarily rough with them, but your your position, your attitude would be a little different when you're dealing with the drug cartel leader or a member of the organization versus someone who's witnessed some fraudulent activity and just wants to report it. In terms of of some of the things we're seeing today in the news, you know, things like bots, fake news, fake groups, some of these Russian information ops, those sorts of things. What is your take on that? It's astounding to begin with the extent to which the Russian intelligence operations have utilized this. It's astounding the extent to which they've been successful. And it's astounding that the extent to which it's still going on, evidently, as of August 2018, it's still working. There's evidence in the news that it's, it's ongoing, it's widespread, and it's still causing, in some cases, groups to go protest when these organizers of the protest are operating these bots at the behest of Russian intelligence. Quite frankly, to me, it's, it's scary how Russian intelligence and, and perhaps other agencies, other governments throughout the world have been successful in causing disruption in our society by posting fake items, creating fake news stories, creating controversy and, and getting people who tend to be inclined to want to believe those things to, to get involved. Now, we often hear about people who have fallen victim to this sort of thing. They'll, they won't report it. They'll be embarrassed to reach out. They feel like, uh, you know, they've been taken advantage of. At what point does it make sense for someone to reach out to an organization like the FBI? I think it's become so commonplace that people shouldn't be embarrassed by it. You know, every day there are numerous businesses who are attacked through ransomware and I think a lot of them just go ahead and pay 
because usually it's just a small amount, all things considered, that's asked to, you know, uh, to get rid of the ransomware. But it's something that shouldn't be embarrassing because it happens every day. And even where, you know, someone has been hacked or a business has been hacked, it's just so easy for employees to click on something they shouldn't, no matter how well they're instructed to be careful. I mean, look at all the big organizations where it's happened, big, big corporations, news organizations, and even the government where employees at some point click on something they shouldn't. And, you know, unfortunately, we're, I think, um, to some extent, we're behind the curve as far as preventing these measures. And it's, it's a reactionary position that uh, we have to take in, in the cybersecurity field. As, as you know, and as I'm sure the listeners know, there, there are certain measures that can be taken to block this. But there, there are efforts, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up. There's, um, I'm familiar with, and I'm kind of collaborating with, there's a, a new cyber engineering school that has been created at, of all places, a small university in Houston, it's Houston Baptist University. They've created a, a school that in which they are offering degrees in computer science, cyber engineering, and I forget the third one right now, but but the, the emphasis is on creating the future scientists, the future cyber engineers who will develop means and methods to counter the, the cyber attacks that are so prevalent today. And it, it is, in my understanding, it is being done in collaboration with government agencies. All right, Joe, what do you think? Social engineering is new to the FBI, I guess. It's not really new techniques. We've talked about that numerous times. Yeah. But now it's risen to the level where the only law enforcement agency that can answer these kind of things is is a national level law enforcement agency. If you got scams 30 years ago, that would not rise to an FBI level. Right. It would be a local issue mm-hmm. and they wouldn't be involved. I kind of found it interesting on how he develops informants. Everybody that becomes an informant has their own reason to do so. I guess they're going to go after whatever they think is that person's motivation and feed that motivation. Like he said, there were some people who were like, want to be cops. If they want to exploit that resource, then they're going to say, oh man, maybe you should get into law enforcement. Yeah, tell me more. And finally, on a OPSEC note, he said that he, he got some uh, suspicious LinkedIn connections. I'm very suspicious of LinkedIn connections. I get a lot of them from time to time. I actually called somebody into my office the other day and said, do you know this person? Because they are sending me a LinkedIn request and I've never met them. Hmm. And he tells me something that I'm like, well, I don't, I don't think I want to, I want to answer that link. I'm just going to ignore this request. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have ignored LinkedIn requests. So I've checked on people and said, Hey, is this a real person? And actually, I'm, I'm kind of glad I do that from time to time. Yeah, it's hard to know sometimes. For you and I, you know, hosting podcasts and things, there are lots of people who reach out right. who are listeners and fans of the show. Right. I get those and from so time you, to time. And you and, have to figure out how you're going to dial that in. Yeah, it's, it's rough. I hope I haven't ignored any requests from listeners. That's our show. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Ivan. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>